differently. So I call myself bad widow because I refuse to fall in line with the assumptions of how I should be speaking and how I should be acting and what I should be doing. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are changing the way we think about what is possible in our lives, especially as we age. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker previous guest on Zestful Aging. Her CD Buffalo Motel is out and you can find out more about Judy on judybanker.com. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, Just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Well, as always, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side taking a nap right now. Let's begin. We have a really great interview for you today, super relevant given what we're dealing with with COVID and uh, lots of changes in the world. We'll be speaking with Allison Penna, a.k.a. Bad Widow. I love that. She's a consultant, speaker, and author, and she became a widow when her husband died in 2016 after an 11-month battle with pancreatic cancer. And afterwards, Allison learned how to live fearlessly, move through grief, reclaim autonomy, reinvent herself, and rebuild her networks back to life. And she's going to talk with us today about the grieving process and what she learned. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for being with us. Let's just start with your uh, your AKA bad widow. What? Tell me what that means. <laughs> well, what happened was that after my husband died, uh, I found that people had a lot of assumptions about how to deal with me. You know, how to deal with my sort of endless grief and how to um, deal with what they thought I should do, how to talk to me, how to, and what I discovered was that the the kind of pervasive assumption was that because my husband had died, I was broken. And Mm -hmm. in all honesty, I felt broken. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a feeling like that would go on forever. It would never get past it. And so there was a lot of walking on eggshells with me and um, and I decided at a certain point that I was not broken, that I could not be broken by circumstances. And at that point, I started doing things differently. So I call myself bad widow because I refuse to fall in line with the assumptions of how I should be speaking and how I should be acting and what I should be doing. And those shoulds, were those cultural, religious? I mean, what kind of norms are you thinking of when you, you say how you should be? Well, they were, they were cultural, largely. They were, um, I would hear things like, um, I didn't mean to make you cry, Mm -hmm. which you hear a lot. You know, when someone's crying, you want to help. Mm -hmm. And if you're crying and you actually need to cry, that's supremely irritating. (laughs) You know, because Uh you you need to cry in that moment. I mean, I needed to cry a lot after Mm -hmm. my husband died. We Mm -hmm. were together 25 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I started to design ways that worked for me to be treated in the way that I wanted to be treated, even though I was a widow. So, for example, with the tears, 
I would go to a family gathering or event and the tears were unpredictable. I mean, I could start crying when I saw carrots. Mm -hmm. You know, people understand music, but there are all kinds of little sparks and triggers mm -hmm. after a loss um, or a transition. And so I would go and I would say, look, I'm crying a lot these days. I may cry during this event. You had to educate them. I had to educate them. So Bad Widow turned out to be a lot about education. Um, and, and fundamentally, what people wanted to know was that I was okay. Mm -hmm. And that they didn't need to do anything with me. Which... You're, it, it's so interesting because I think what you're saying is people at a very basic level don't know how to deal with others who are grieving. No, they have no idea. Why is that? Because one of the things we chatted about uh, off off uh, camera was that you, oh, there's so many versions of grief and loss that we all have dealt with through our lives, um, and certainly now with COVID. So on the one hand, we're all dealing with versions, and then the uh, on the other hand, you're saying people really needed to be educated about how to deal with grief. Yeah, and, and a lot of the stuff that I, I learned in that time is really applicable today. So people would ask me, uh, how are you feeling? And for me, that was an impossible question, especially right after my husband died. Because my, my snapback response was, how do you think I'm feeling? <laughs> you know. This is a stupid question to ask. What question would you have preferred? One that brought me into the present. So how are you feeling right now? Uh -huh. How are you feeling today? Mm -hmm. and, and as I said, this is useful in these times too, because I'm in New York City and we're looking at maybe another month of this really painful social distancing. Mm -hmm. um, and so how are you today? How are you this minute is a mm. question that can be answered mm -hmm. and addressed. Um, and, and so there were all these different things. I used to say to people, uh, you will lose someone you love as I have. You will be a caregiver and you will die yourself. And people were shocked. But it's just true. Mm -hmm. It's just true. And there are all these iterations of loss and transition. So you loss, lose a person. You can lose a job. You can lose a home. Even aging is a transition. Mm -hmm. Because in one moment, you have much more flexibility and capacity. And in the next moment, you don't. Right after my husband died, especially, and it went on for a long time, um, my energy was really variable. So sometimes I was able to do a whole lot in a, in a day, mm -hmm. and other times I had nothing, absolutely nothing. Putting my foot on the floor and getting out of bed was all I could do. Um, and the other thing that happened was that my memory started, I started getting memory gaps. Mm -hmm. And they were from a week to 10 minutes to five seconds. And so what they impacted was, I couldn't remember one second after someone made an appointment with me that I had an appointment. Mm -hmm. I had a sign by my door on a little card that my best friend wrote up for me that said, keys, shoes, coat. I mean, it was really basic. I mm -hmm. couldn't remember to eat. Mm -hmm. About five seconds after I remembered I was hungry, I would forget. So I put baskets of food all over the house so that I would have not just a memory, but a visual reminder that bodies need to be fed. 
So you were really help. You were you were trying to figure out very solution based, right? Like, okay, my memory is 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 really is off. Is very very yeah, of course. And trauma that happens, and and you were problem solving. You were saying, okay, that's a problem. How can I help myself? Yeah, it's it's in my nature, and this is part of the bad widow thing. It's in my nature to deconstruct my own challenges. Mm-hmm. and and develop solutions and, I see. and and one of the things that you know my husband died and there were all these people going okay uh now you need to sort out your finances and and my husband was a painter he left a studio with over a thousand paintings in it that mm-hmm. he had been in for 30 years so if you mm-hmm. imagine moving I didn't have to pack up his papers. I had to pack up a thousand paintings, a thousand memories. Um, I had to, to close out a studio. And one of the most visceral of the senses is smell. Mm-hmm. And so I would walk in there and he used to cut the paint with clove oil and dissolve into tears. Mm-hmm. So the getting stuff done was rife with memories. Mm -hmm. So I wound up, he used to paint weddings, event paintings, and then he would hand off the painting at the end of the night. And he had this big trunk that he did that with. And I was going to give it to this friend of his who also did the same kind of work. But I looked at this thing and there were so many memories connected to it that I couldn't open the trunk alone. And I had to go down the hall and ask his friend and say, look, I'm really sorry, but I can't do this by myself. Mm-hmm. So distinguishing when to reach out for help and what kind of help to reach out for is really important. Identifying capacity, one of the really pervasive things about the energy and the memory loss was that I was a very, I am a very smart, capable person. And suddenly I wasn't. Suddenly I couldn't trust myself. Right. Your brain was gone. Gone. And it sounds like that you had, that had been a major part of your identity. Yeah. Your intellectual abilities. Yeah. Super you know, I'm, I'm very smart. So I was consulting, I was tutoring, I was doing some medical editing and proofreading. So I couldn't do detail work because I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't reach out for clients because I couldn't be around people all the time. And so the first job I took after I became a widow uh, was with another widow's pop-up store, Halloween pop-up store. All I had the capacity for was to work three days a week for four hours at a time, hanging costumes Mm -hmm. on standing rails. That was it. And so my, my experience of myself as a smart, capable person was gone. How did you, maybe this is a, you know, a silly question, but... How did you know what your capacity was? Because it sounds like you were aware of, uh, you know, what you could and you couldn't do. You're saying, I can't open this trunk by myself. I can't do my brainy work. I have to do this. How does one know when they've reached capacity? It, It really varies. I mean, in these coronavirus times, there are times I can do a lot and times I can do a little. So the experience of trauma is is very much what it was before. So you're feeling perhaps exhaustion, lack of concentration. What's your red flag that you've hit the bottom of your well? On a lot of levels, I'm fortunate because I I developed after, after Dave died all these nets. <laughs> mm. And so I'm just um, tapping into those nets. So what I know about myself is that when I'm exhausted, when I'm at zero capacity, I can't think. So I created a list. I asked friends for all their best self-care ideas. And so I have a list of 100 self-care ideas. Mm -hmm. 
Are there any you want to share with us that are unusual that we may not have come across? The the one that I there are there are two that I use most of all. Um, when what in my experience when I have been in great pain, I try to jump out of my body because being in my body is painful. And so getting myself present again is really critical. Mm -hmm. So I have two techniques for doing that. One is to use the five senses. Mm -hmm. If So if you look at something and really look at it, so you look at a tree and you look at the bark and you look at the striations. If you touch something and you allow your fingers to inform you, if you smell something and take that in, mm -hmm. sound is one people know about, but they know about music. There are all kinds of sounds. You could go outside and you could listen to what are you hearing. Mm -hmm. And anything that brings you back into your body, that brings you present, will will be grounding. That's what I was just going to say. These are grounding exercises that people with PTSD use. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't actually know that, but this is this is the one of the ways that I was able to bring myself back to myself. Because so once you would look at, you'd be with someone and you, or something, and you'd say, let me look, let me smell, let me touch. Is that the kind of thing I'm? Yeah. You to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I did a challenge where I demonstrated. So I, I took a, you know, one of those shells and I held it up to my ears so I could listen to the ocean. Mm. And then you could look at it. And, and what it does is it, is it pulled me out of my own pain into something else mm -hmm. and into something that was about life. The other thing that I did, singing is a big part of my life. I'm not mm -hmm. a professional singer, but from when I was a little child, my family always sung together and I sang in a gospel choir for 10 years. And then I started, you know, doing cabaret mm -hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I needed, in these transition times, I believe it's really important to remind ourselves that we're not just what we're in the middle of. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just a caregiver. I'm also a woman. I'm not just a widow. I'm also an entrepreneur. And when things are really hard, in it, and especially in times of loss or after times of loss or transition, things seem to dial down to one role or two roles. And so what I did was I had always wanted to sing um, on a stage in a cabaret show. So I took a class where that was part of the show. And even when Dave was dying, um, the songs I chose reminded me that I was more than a person who was going to lose the person they loved. Mm -hmm. And the, the week he died, actually, the Tuesday, he pushed me out the door and I went to do my cabaret show and I sang I Will Survive. Aha. Uh -huh. And I sang uh, Everybody Says Don't, which, you know, ultimately turned into a Bad Widow story. And I sang The Secret of Happiness. And The Secret of Happiness is a song about the fact that happiness exists in the present. One of the, the gifts in that extremely heartbreaking time, those 11 months when my husband had pancreatic cancer and chemo and um, is that we learn to live fearlessly. And I see these posts on my Facebook feed of people saying, well, but I, I haven't done what I was meant to get done. And my response is, life is short, get to it. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. I mean, my husband went from six foot three man, two hundred and sixty three pounds, two hundred and forty six by the time he died. And so when you're when you're watching someone and you know that this twenty five years together is one day soon and it might be tomorrow going to end, you stop waiting. You stop waiting. So that's and, informed you. I mean, has that is that different than the woman you were before Dave died that you were saying to yourself, life is short, get to it? Was that a shift in your, in the way you lived? It was a massive shift. Uh-huh. I mean, I had wanted to get on stages and speak about my work. I had wanted to sing on, on, uh, in, in little clubs, in cabaret shows for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And in those 11 months, I sang on four stages and I spoke on three. Mm. I mean, I'd been waiting 10 years. And, and honestly, and so I wasn't, I wasn't worried about being embarrassed. And I wasn't really worried about getting things wrong. Because it was in front of my face was life is short. Mm-hmm. You know, aging, when I, it, I got back to work, you know, and I, I now I consult and I tutor and I sell art. And then the hardest thing was being willing to open myself up to love again. Mm, I imagine. I mean, it felt like such a betrayal of my husband. And there's no reason to it. He was dead. I mean, he wasn't coming back and I hadn't left him. And it's, it's interestingly typical of widows that they say, my husband, no matter uh-huh. what comes next. So there's a feeling of my husband, uh, even still. And mm-hmm. as a presence. As a presence. Yep. And, and, you know, he wouldn't have wanted me to wait and stop, but for me, I was, when I, when we got together, it was 1992 and he died in 2016. And I, I had my um, 60th birthday this month, actually, Um, in April, in April. Um, Was that an important birthday for you, Allison? It was, it was not what I imagined it would be. (laughs) (laughs) In what ways? Well, I, I can't see anyone. I can't touch anyone. Uh-huh. Yes. You know, um, I I didn't plan a big bash, but it was not what I imagined. Um, so ultimately, I at, at each point, as I discovered those things that I wanted back in my life, it was critical for me to figure out who I was without my husband. Mm-hmm. In 25 years, you, you're like two vines. And so there was a lot that I didn't know about myself. So clarifying that was critical. How did you do that? How did you, how did you discover who you really were as your own person without your husband? I looked at what I had been before I met him. And there were things that I gave up that I then took back. Because when you're first in a relationship, you're kind of going along a certain amount of the time. You're making compromises to the things that you care about because maybe the other person doesn't love that as much. And do you think men do that as well? Not, not as much. Not as much. We're really good at that, right? <laughs> We're really good at molding, that. Molding to what we think other people want from us. Yeah, and one of the things I hear from a lot of widows is taking back that autonomy is really important. And then I just tried things. I tried, do I like this? Do I like that? And my, my aim was to make distinctions really quickly. And when I started, decided I wanted to start dating again, I knew intimacy was, was impossible. 
I couldn't even imagine being intimate with somebody again. But what I realized was I, I had to take, if I wanted to meet someone and open myself up to loving and being loved again, I had to start taking steps that would push my own boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so I, I signed up for Bumble. And the last time I dated was 1992. So online dating <laughs> was not a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I started to, I wrote my profile entirely for me. I basically decided, okay, I want to go out with men and do things I like. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very different, I'm sure, than the woman you were in 1992. Very different. Very different. It was, I would like to go out with a man to listen to music and have dinner. Mm -hmm. Because I had to take small steps. Sure. Nobody else's arm felt right around my waist. Nobody was the right height, the right shape. Or smelled the same as your husband. I mean, I can only imagine. Exactly. And so I couldn't actually trust my own body chemistry. Because I felt when, when anyone touched me who wasn't my husband, who was never coming back, I literally felt a revulsion. And, and on occasion would say, don't touch me. If it was a bad day, if it was an anniversary day, I would be jumping back oh, away. It sounds like such conflict that part of you wanted to open up your your life and your world to a new relationship. And part of you was like, that's not going to happen. Exactly. You open in one hand and close. You're pushing the brake and the gas at the same time. It's exactly how it was. But, but like in the work where I could only do four hours, I knew that on the other side of my own fears and my own boundaries, and I'll tell you, if, if you have the love of your life die in your arms, opening up to that kind of pain again is really rough. Because as you said uh, earlier on, it's all loss. I mean, you know, that's what the Buddhists say, right? Life is suffering. And you know that one of you will die first. Even yep. if you find the the next love of your life, it's not going to be without its own pain. Well, exactly. And, and, and anyway, a shortcut. Um, in six months, using Bumble, I just kept tweaking my profile until I got only the men who I liked. So I did it like an ad campaign. <laughs> so that's so funny. So what what kinds of things? You didn't say, I'm guessing, I like I like pizza and walking um, on the beach and uh, no games. Isn't that the typical uh, profile? What did you say that made it so, so individualized? I, I was really specific. For example, I said, I prefer rocky beaches to sandy ones. Mm -hmm. And my intent was to have those people who wanted someone who wanted to walk on a sandy beach. So, for example, who went to the Jersey Shore, who loved Florida, parts of Florida. Mm -hmm. Those are my people. <laughs> and and I wanted to make clear that there was there were many women out there who were their people, but I wasn't that. I was so is screen that, screening out rather than screening in. It sounds like what you were doing was going from the inside to the outside, not saying like, what should I say to get this person? You were saying, this is who I am, and I'm going to define it so precisely that only certain people will be interested instead of going the other way. Like, what do guys really like? What should I say? Yeah, I did not care what they liked. <laughs> That's part of the bad widow. <laughs> you were like, this is this is the truth. Take it or leave it. Yeah, because it, because I didn't want I didn't want someone who was not my person, and mm -hmm. so I was going to try and deter anyone who wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it, it so it, it wasn't a a let's open the net and bring everybody in as many as we can i wasn't i wasn't making that assessment i only wanted people who wanted to do the stuff i wanted to do and then once we were in person then i would see if it was something more and this one man kept rising to the surface and just kept showing up for me, just kept being okay with me however I was. And I was a hot mess. I was crying a lot. I would literally go, don't touch me. Mm -hmm. I, uh, When I was kissed in any intimate way, I would have a panic attack. Oh, my goodness. Full on. Now, in your profile, I don't know about Bumble. Is it for people who are widowed or is it just more of a generic dating site? When I, when I was consulting people who knew about dating sites, it's one of the ones where the woman gets the first two moves. Oh, I see. And I knew that I had to control the process because I was so terrified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I chose, I chose a site that would allow me to guide the process. Mm -hmm. And as you can see, I wasn't looking out at anyone else. I just kept looking in at myself through this whole thing because that was the only way I knew to get back to whole and thriving and resilient and resourceful. Hello, Zesties. I want to tell you about one of my all-time favorite exercise and stress reduction tools, which I am really relying on during this quarantine, but I've sung its praises for years. The benefits are seemingly endless. Uh, it's great for toning and strengthening muscles. It improves your lymph system, your metabolism. It helps with joint pain and balance, and it's even used by NASA astronauts because it's such an efficient way to exercise. And if you're older or you're worried about your balance, you can order a stabilizer bar to hang on to. I'm talking about my NEDAC Rebounder mini trampoline. I put on my music and I have my own dance party. Because for me, exercise needs to be fun and invigorating. Otherwise, I don't want to do it. Now is not the time for the philosophy of no pain, no gain, because we're in enough pain. This is a way to feel good and energized and have fun. It really does help mood as well. And I like that NEDAC is made in the USA and it is really solid. I've had mine for 15 years and it's still in great shape. The NEDAC Rebounder will help us get through this quarantine in better shape mentally and physically. And there's also a model that folds up if space is an issue. One of my clients puts it on her driveway and uses it while she's watching her kids during the quarantine. Anyway, I can't recommend NEDAC Rebounders enough. They are a worthwhile investment in your health and overwhelm overall well-being, especially now. If you are interested in a mini trampoline, please don't buy a cheap one. Those can be actually dangerous, and it is really worth uh, investing in a good quality one. And right now, if you use the coupon code just for Zestful Aging listeners, the code is Zestful, they are going to include a free cover for you. So go to needac.com. It's N-E-E-D-A-K.com. And if you have any questions, you can contact me at zestfulaging.com. I really am their biggest fan. So this might be a, a hard question to answer, but it seems to me that even as you're moving through this tremendous grief, you have a wisdom about how to do this that I think is very unique. And even saying, you know, I'm going to do these grounding exercises, I'm going to still go to cabaret and sing songs that counteract the experience, you know, the other parts of my life, that um, you educated people to ask 
the questions that made sense and that were relevant and not more hurtful, there seems like there was this internal barometer, even as what you call like you were a mess. Where did that come from? It's it's something I've I've always been an odd person. <laughs> so I, I've always seen the world in this um, sort of particular way where I I look at things and I see what what's working, what's not working, and how to fix it. So like a I'm scientist. I'm, and so I just started doing that for myself. I mean, I discovered amazing things. I discovered that people almost universally want to give us what we are asking for. The reason we don't get it is because either that the request is too vague or too small, or you're asking the wrong person. And so part of the, the real importance of, of making distinctions and getting super clear on what you want is then you can ask for help specifically mm -hmm. and especially if you're a widow people don't want to get things wrong they want to to do it right they want to give you what you need if the request is not specific enough they're pretty sure they're going to fail and they're not even going to try mm, okay well you know what that reminds me of is when people say let me know if you need anything well, that's not terribly helpful, right? Someone might want to say, can I drop you a meal or can I bring you lunch? Much more helpful. Yeah, this was something I addressed in one of my blog posts called Grief, Brain, and Bills. And okay. I, well, what, I'll, I'll just tell you what happened. I had, my family had helped me with, with bills, with things like rent. And it was March. And my landlord reached out to me and said, where's the rent? And I said, oh, you know, it's all taken care of. And she said, that was February. It's March 23rd. I have no rent. I have no idea where it's coming from. I still don't have the capacity to do consulting work or medical editing or anything. And I sat down and I wrote this thing called Grief, Brain, and Bills. Uh, and the thing that I said was, and it wasn't a, a poor me. It was like, wow, this just happened. I'm a resourceful person. I'll figure this out. But wow. I said, if you come across a situation like this, just talk to the person and listen to what's going on for them. Then based on what you've heard, make a suggestion for something that you can do. And then execute asking for direction as needed. And this is still brings me to tears, honestly. I wrote this blog and someone who followed me, who was my freshman college roommate, instant messaged me on Facebook and said, I'll pay your March rent. Mm. And I said, you do realize I live in New York City and this is what it is. Feel free to back out. And she said, no. Mm. Give me your landlord's name and address and I'll take care of it. So within a half hour of writing down, this is how you take care of someone in this kind of a situation where after a loss, after a transition, they're upended. Uh, and I, I thanked her a million times. And she said, I just did what you said. <laughs> I just followed what you said. And it hadn't occurred to me that I was doing that. I was just like, wow. And, and it still moves me to tears. Mm -hmm. But that's the power of specific request. Mm -hmm. Takes some courage, though. Courage I've got. <laughs> courage I've got. I started talking about this stuff because there was nobody that I could find who was talking about it from this sort of raw place that I found myself. And there wasn't anyone who was willing to be messy about it in the same way. It was once they were a little bit through, I'll tell you 
my wisdom. And it was so resonant with people that I was willing to be vulnerable about what was real in this tough moment. Mm-hmm. When, when um, my boyfriend and I, we, we now live together, when we decided we were going to live together, we still had not been intimate. That was still an issue for me. Mm-hmm. I was still hitting panic attacks with kissing. And we decided we would go away for the weekend. And the only promise was we would have one room and one bed. And I would try to press myself through my own. A, a lot of it was grief. Someone else's touch just prov- provoked this huge wave of grief. Uh, and and I would try. I would try to get through. And if I could get through and if we worked in that way, we would move in together. Because we already loved each other. We had been seeing each other six months. And it was an excruciating weekend. But I would press in until I hit a panic attack. And then go, stop! Mm. We have to... We have to go have something to eat. We have to go for a walk. We have to go down to the pool. Stop. Mm -hmm. And he would. And he said, as long as I was going to be that brave, he could be that patient. Oh, my goodness. I mean, he's a remarkable man. Mm -hmm. And that, that was what it took. But aging, you know, zestful aging is for me about as as I'm you know I'm not as thin as I was when I stood in that hotel room I had on you know red and white spotted navy pajamas and I just put out my arms and I said is this okay because mm. my body was not what my body was in 1992 I didn't feel as confident as I did back then. Mm-hmm. And and realizing that the changes that transitions and losses inevitably create for us doesn't mean less. It just means different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There it, are opportunities. Um but there are certainly losses, and it's riding and navigating that very fine line. Exactly, and allowing the grief. Mm-hmm. I mean, grieving is warranted when there's something that you could do that's no longer possible. And and trying to stuff that down and saying that that's not okay makes no sense. And yet, once... You know, that's my thing about nets. Once you can see, once I can see that I want to do something and there's something in the way, then I develop a net or a strategy or something Mm -hmm. that will take me through that, that will press me into my own barriers to having what I want that's on the other side. Mm -hmm. But you need to know what's on the other side that you want to have the courage and the the um, fortitude to go through, you know, some tough stuff, honestly. Mm -hmm. This is not, uh, my my grandfather who died when he was 99, he used to say, old age is not for sissies. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. Right. Absolutely. But it can be rich. Mm, yes, it can be. And one of the things that I wonder about is now that it sounds like you found um, another true love yep. and things are very different, how is it for you to continue working with grief and with this kind of intense loss? Is there a sense that you'd like to switch your perspective to something different or... Is it um, something that still feels right? It feels right because my um, 
my biggest passion at the moment and and what I talk about most of all is that we live in a world where the pervasive assumption is that we can be broken by circumstances mm-hmm. so uh, there are health challenges someone dies a job is lost I mean it's so critical in this moment to know that we are stronger than that that once we get back to our own selves fully we can't be broken by our circumstances unless we decide that's true and the the decisions that a person who says they're broken makes and the decision that a person makes when they say I am whole and this is awful and I'm resilient and I am resilient Mm -hmm. and even if in this moment I'm not resourceful I can get back there Mm -hmm. with some resolve and that's really a decision that's a line in the sand but with every single loss or transition we will go through a grieving the loss of a future imagined or co-created that will now never come to pass mm-hmm. I won't be young the way I was in 1992 again the the world is shifting people who are in jobs their jobs may reform into a new format people who can't find jobs again in what they were doing they may have to to pivot in some other mm-hmm. direction yeah, adapting sh- sure yeah yeah so you're i talking think- about i think there's also this piece that you're saying that even in the darkest depths of grief there's always this little shred of ho- is it hope would you describe it that way um i mean in me i think i'm just stubborn my <laughs> My, <laughs> my, uh, I'm still standing, I think was also a song. Yeah, exactly. That you could have sang in your cabaret. Exactly. My mom used to tell me I had a nurse when I was three and, and she used to say that one, if you threw her in a stream, she'd swim up. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it, it's been going on for a while. Well, you came into the world <laughs> with a very strong constitution. Apparently. Oh, my gosh. Apparently. Oh, wow. Allison, it's just been really wonderful speaking with you about, and so honestly, about your wisdom and grief and the many, many forms it takes and the idea that you can be in you know, in a fetal position mm-hmm. and and still have the belief that as bad as it feels, there is another side. Yes. That's such a powerful message uh, for, for all of us and uh, certainly right now. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. You know, I, I just wanted to share something that I think you might, if you didn't don't already know about it, you might appreciate. Uh, there's a meditation teacher. She's pretty uh, famous. Her name's Sharon Salzberg. Mm-hmm. And she talks about that even in the depths of the pain, it is not a solid wall of pain. Mm-hmm. That there's sort of cracks in that, and that if we can remember that even in the darkest time, it is never a solid wall, then that's really kind of a helpful image, and it reminded me of what you were saying. Oh, I think that's true. So true. One of the one of the things that were most was most difficult to to allow myself to feel again was joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember after 9/11 in New York, it was, it was felt like a betrayal to laugh. Mm-hmm. In those weeks after. Yes. Oh my goodness. I want to give our audience a way to find you and learn more about your teaching, your talking, your blog, your your bad widowing. <laughs> uh, I love that. Tell us where we can find out more about Allison Pina. Super easy. 
You just go to badwidow.com. Okay, badwidow.com. <laughs> And they can sign up for your blogs and follow you. And I know you've been on many other podcasts. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Thank you so much for spending time today. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, uh, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.